Well, good morning. Nice chilly spring day. <laughs> I, uh, I've, for years, I don't know for years, but I imagined a scenario uh, with the that it kind of in my heart answers the question: What's this all about? Why did God make anything? Why? Why? Have you thought of that? Why? So I start where God makes the angels. He creates the angels. And some of them rebel. And judgment falls. Just, you're gone. Out. And the angels, you know, they did they know that God was a God of wrath at the time? They found out. They found out. And God desires to display even more of his attributes. So he, in a sense, says, watch this. And he makes the universe. And he makes, you know, he doesn't just make an earth and a sun in black and white. He makes the whole solar system. Well, he doesn't stop there. Use your imagination. You've seen pictures of the galaxies and the, you know, the color and the, you know, this is God showing how awesome and splendid he is. And the onlookers go, whoa. And then he says, now, let's continue. Now that you've seen something of, you know, I mean, this is the glory of God. He doesn't do something just a little bit. So then he makes, he's got the earth down here. And, you know, think about it. Did he have to put color into it? It could have been black and white. But no, God goes all the way. I mean, he doesn't let it go light and then dark. He puts color in the sky as the sun sets, the brilliant colors. Why? Because that's his glory. When he does anything, he does it to reflect who he is. He does everything wonderful, beautiful. And you think about it, the colors that we have. He didn't, he didn't have to put that in there, but he goes all the way to reveal himself. And then he puts a man and a woman in a garden. And they sin against him. And the angels are going, whoa, whoa, look out now. And he turns to Adam and he curses the ground instead of Adam. And the the angels are going, what? He didn't do that to us. He, he just threw them out. And now he's showing mercy. Had anybody known that God had an attribute of mercy? No. He was, he was displaying more and more of his attributes. And then, you know, I mean, you know the history. And he says, watch this. And he goes down and becomes one of those little clay people down there. And they're going, what? What is he doing? And he dies for the, for them. And it's like, he's displaying grace. He's displaying mercy. He's displaying love. This, this whole thing is not an experiment, but it's a way of God revealing himself and all his attributes. 
And I, I remember reading one of the writers that talked about his attributes. He says, he may have an infinite number of attributes that we have no clue on. Well, the angels, when they were first uh, made, created, they didn't know all any of this, but they're watching. And they're seeing all these things, these attributes. Well, it comes to us now. This wonderful, wondrous God has called us to obey Him and has given choices of life or death. And you have a choice. We have a choice. This book that I've been reading is from uh, John MacArthur, It's Hard to Believe. That's the title of it, Hard to Believe. And he gives this final warning. He says, Every presentation of the gospel must end with a warning of doom to the one who rejects it. Now, you're, think of what you're rejecting. Think of this God who has created all these things. He's even put in us the ability to create, to imagine, to draw, to, to sing, to make music, to all these things. And, and we want to reject his gospel. Mere saying and hearing are no proof that a person's faith is authentic. Real faith is visible in the one who does. Does that sound familiar? I mean, this, this chapter is about, this is the end of the chapter where he's bringing on, well, who's really a Christian? Who is really a follower? The one who builds his house on the sand? The one who builds his house on the, on the firm foundation, on the rock? And he's questioning it. And it's one of those things that we have to do every so often. We have to look at ourselves and question, Lord, where am I? Where am I? He says, there are times when all of us will stumble into a sin, but if unrepentant sin is the pattern of your life, you're not in his kingdom. You're not in his kingdom. See if, see if you're in this list from 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not enter the kingdom of God? Do not, do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor adulter, not idolaters, nor idolaters, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor coveters, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. If you're not on that list, look at the one in Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And there are plenty more lists of human sins that keep people out of heaven. Look at uh, 2 Timothy 3, 1-5. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, Boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, 
unholy, unloving. You know, this is a checklist. We <laughs> choose which one you are and repent. Unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, and from such people turn away. That's Paul's direction to Timothy. It says, who gets, so who gets in then? The few who truly repent of their sins, the few who find the narrow gate. When you eagerly give your life in submission to the Lord, he takes over and everything begins to unfold. And from there on, he begins to empower and change you. C.S. Lewis has a marvelous illustration of this. It's a little story he tells. C.S. Lewis says, when I was a child, I often had a toothache. And I knew that if I went to my mother, she would give me something which would deaden the pain for that night and let me get sleep. But I did not go to my mother, at least not until the pain became very bad. And the reason I did not go was this. I did not doubt she would give me the aspirin, but I knew she would also do something else. I knew she would take me to the dentist the next morning. I could not get what I wanted out of her without getting something more, which I did not want. I wanted in immediate relief from pain, but I could not get it without having my teeth set permanently right. And I knew those dentists. I knew they started fiddling around with all sorts of other teeth, which had not yet begun to ache. They would not let sleeping dogs lie. So it says, our, our Lord is like that dentist. If you give him one problem to fix, he'll fix them all. That's why he warned people to count the cost before becoming Christians. He will make you perfect, nothing less. That process begins the moment you trust him and continues until the moment you arrive in heaven and are instantly glorified. When you put yourself in his hands, that's what you're in for, whatever it takes. You know, oftentimes we, uh, we think, well, yeah, we, we went swimming yesterday. It was a wonderful time with the family. Did you go swimming? Well, <laughs> I sat on the pool with my feet in the water. So you didn't go swimming. Oh, the kids did. Everybody else did. Look, you don't want to go in? You don't want to immerse yourself in this? You just want a little bit? It says here, the dentist won't let sleeping dogs lie. And God, when you have counted the cost, part of that cost is that he's going to fix everything. He's going to fix everything. Look at 1 Timothy 6, 11 and 12. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. You know, there are people probably right here, sitting right here, that are saying, not me, I'm not doing it, I'm not doing it. 
I, I don't mind putting my feet in the water and enjoying what everybody else is enjoying around me, but I'm not getting in there. Or a Christian that says, I got my feet in the door, but I'm not going any further. I'm enjoying things too much. Uh-uh. It doesn't work that way. Count the cost. Count the cost. Uh, there's a cost. And the ones that are sitting here that says, I'm not going to do it, I, I want them to think in their mind. I want you, if you're one of those, to think in your mind this. I don't want what God has in store for me. Just say it. I don't want it. Look at uh, Galatians 5.22. This is the fruit of the Spirit. You don't want any of this. You don't want love. You don't want joy springing out from among. That's what God will do for you. You don't want peace. You don't want long-suffering or patience. You don't want kindness. You don't want goodness. You don't want faithfulness. You don't want gentleness. You don't want self-control. You're going to do what you want to do, and nobody's going to tell you otherwise. That's your confession. That's where you're at. And some of us as Christians, you know, sometimes that's where we're at, and we've got to repent of that. But some people will not repent. They're not going, they're not even going to put their foot in the door. They already know this is not for me. You know, they're going to do it on their own. You can't tell me I'm not going to have peace. I'm going to do it. I'm going to watch me. I'm going to do it. You know, Ben Franklin, scientist that he was, I mean, he tried things. And, you know, he was a Presbyterian, but the Presbyterian church says he never became a Christian. But he took those words there and decided that he was going to work on that in himself. For two weeks, he was going to do nothing but show love. I'm going to show love. And he worked on that. And then two weeks later, he he worked on joy. I'm going to work on that. I'm going to be a joyful person. And then he worked on peace. I'm going to be at peace. I'm going to be at peace. For two weeks. I mean, you know, Ben Franklin... You know, he's going to go logically step by step. He's going to push himself to do this. He's going to accomplish this. He went through that, and two years later, going through that, and then starting over, and then starting over, at, at the end of two years, says, can't be done. I couldn't do it. He said he couldn't do it. You can't do it. You cannot do this. This is something that God does in us. There's no way out. You know, we have a saying, you know, who knows? Who knows? We also say the saying, heaven knows. You usually say that when we don't know what's, we, we don't know the answer to it. Heaven knows. Well, let me tell you, heaven does know. Heaven knows your inner thoughts right now. He knows what you did every minute of every day this week. He knows what you're going to do. He knows the lies. He knows the deception. He knows the anger. He knows everything. Heaven knows. And when you say heaven knows, he knows it all. You're not hiding. You're not hiding from anybody. What do you want? You know, and then for the Christians, remember Ananias and Sapphira? It doesn't, the Bible doesn't say that they weren't believers. But they took their foot out of the water. And look what happened. Because God calls us to be perfect. To be holy. 
and not to deceive, lie, any of that list. We, we have some growing up to do. God's not finished with any of us yet, and I'm glad He doesn't give up on us. But those of you who are saying, it's not for me, what awaits you? What awaits you? You say, oh yeah, I don't care. I'm on this, you know, the, the broad road that leads to destruction. You know what the signs on the road say? Heaven, this way. Come and enjoy a life of goodness and you'll end up in heaven. That's what the signs say. They're deceiving you. It's, it doesn't. It doesn't. And you need to get it in your head. It doesn't lead to where you want to go. You've got to be on that narrow road and you've got to just give your life over completely. When the Lord whispers in your heart, do this, that's what you do. When you read the Word and you say, uh-oh, then you repent and you go move on. Draw near, draw nearer to God. He is calling us to be a holy, righteous people so that the glory that He has put in the earth and the glory that He's put in His church is visible. It's a light to those who don't have it. I mean, think of the households you've, you've walked into throughout your years. Maybe when you were a kid and you walked into a house, the place was a mess. The kitchen was piled up with dishes. The language in that house, people yelling at each other. Is that what you want? Is that the kind of life you want? People cussing each other out, yelling, throwing things, angry, mean-spirited. That's the life of an unbeliever. And there's households like that all over the place. We don't want that. But the one time when God taps one of those people on the shoulder, they need to see where the light is. And if we're not walking in the light, fully in the light, then we bring shame on the name of Christ. What's that verse? It says, uh, the name of the Lord is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, because of me. When they see us do something wrong and there's no repentance in it, what are they thinking? So the call to holiness, the call to righteousness, the call to get in that word and seek God. Because Jesus said, you seek the scriptures because you think in them they have eternal life. And yet the scriptures speak of me and you refuse to come to me. We need to come to him. We need this, brothers. Let's pray and ask the Lord. Father, Father, your glory, we desire it to be manifest among us. And so we ask you to pour out your spirit. Pour out your spirit. Draw us nearer. Draw us nearer to you, Lord. Lord, Lord Jesus. We repent of the things that we know are wrong and we desire more, Lord. Move on us, Lord. Draw us nearer. Let us be a, a joy to you and let us, let us desire you even more, Lord. Let us set aside those worldly desires and needs and see what you have for us to do. Lord, in Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Well, if you've not read MacArthur's Hard to Believe, I, I'd recommend it.